to 1 John chapter number 3, I believe is where we want to go. 1 John chapter number 3 is where we're going to start. And um, I think this is where we want to start with tonight. And if not, we'll start on the next verse down. Uh, I've got them, I, I, I jotted them down, not necessarily in order, and tried to make a mental note of which one I was going to start with. And uh, you know what they say about making mental notes about things. I tell folks sometimes my brain is like a sponge. It holds an awful lot until you go to use it. Then it all just leaks out and goes everywhere else. Can't get a hold of it. But uh, let's see if this is it. I believe we are uh, in the right place. First John chapter number 3. And uh, I guess tonight if I was going to uh, put a title to the message, I would say this is the rest of the story. All right. Uh, we have spent uh, four weeks, three, one week on uh, developing doctrine, three weeks on the doctrine of repentance. And uh, I really had been praying about doing this message as kind of a follow-up. And uh, it, it's going to be partly a summarization of the last uh, three or four weeks, as well as um, the rest of the story, all right? Some things that we need to continue on in and uh, address now that we know what true biblical repentance is then how does that affect some other areas of our life? And we're going to look at some of that tonight. First John chapter number 3, if you will. And uh, let's start in verse number 1. We're going to read down through uh, verse number 4. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Can't wait till that happens. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And if you have a pen, you're in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline verse 4. Uh, this, this really is kind of the, the linchpin, if you will, in the, in the discussion of uh, repentance and how it applies to salvation. Because it's very, very important for us to understand that sin is the transgression of the law. If we keep the law, then we do not sin. So when someone comes along and says that in order for you to be saved... You have to forsake your sin. That means not sin. In essence, what they are saying is you have to keep the law. That is what this verse really strongly points out. That when we're dealing with the topic of sin, we are dealing with transgressing the law. Therefore, if we say that you must not sin, we say you must be living by the works of the law. You must be keeping the law. That's important for us to define that by Scripture. I'm glad God put this verse of Scripture in here for us. Because now it helps us when we come to this issue of repentance and its association with salvation. I am not saying over the last three weeks, and, and I've had a couple people misunderstand or misquote what I've said. I am not saying that repentance is not necessary for salvation. It is. The problem is, our understanding of what repentance is, is what the problem is and makes it flawed. It now, if we say that repentance is repenting from our sin or forsaking our sin, 
doing away with our sin, then we are in essence saying you have to get to a point in your life where you are keeping the law before you can get saved. And now we have a works-based salvation. Cannot be. It disagrees with so many other passages of Scripture. It's not even a gray area. And it should be so easily and clearly seen from Scripture. And folks, I'll tell you this, and I think, I think most of you have been coming here long enough to know this. My desire is to be biblical. And if someone can show me other than this, from Scripture, I'll change my position on it. But until they do, all I can find in Scripture is that repentance is not an action, but it is a change of mind, a change of heart on the issue. And we've spent four weeks, or four weeks, three of them specifically on the topic, expressing that the repentance that is spoken of every time that it's dealing with the topic of salvation is dealing with a repentance from unbelief and turning to Christ by faith. We rejected him. We did not have faith in him. We did not have any desire to have any faith in him. And we went from that kind of a heart and a mindset to a realization that, yes, I need to put my faith and my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Brother Douglas mentioned something to me. I think it was Sunday. Uh, he brought up, because he, he's asking for the verses, which, by the way, some of you that wanted them, I did copy them, and I didn't have them Sunday. But I've got uh, copies on the back table there, if you want them, of every reference of Scripture in the New Testament that uses the word repent and every reference in the New Testament that uses the word repentance. And there's, I'll warn you, there's two sheets to each of them, and they're collated out there, so when you pick them up, make sure you get both sheets. One is front and back, and the other one is just the front only. So there's three pages to it, but they are on the back table there where the purple tablecloth is, and there should be plenty of copies there for each family at least to have a, a set of those if you'd like to have them. Um, since it uses every reference, obviously there are some of those that are not dealing with salvation. They're dealing with other types of repentance. So you'll need to read them, read the context, and understand which ones are applicable to salvation. So I, I don't want people to get the wrong idea from my preaching on repentance that I think that repentance is not necessary for salvation. It certainly is. Because you cannot turn to Christ by faith without repenting of your unbelief. It is 180 degree. I've looked at it this way. That is two sides of the same coin. When you turn to God by faith, you have repented of your unbelief. You cannot do it any other way. You cannot reject what you used to be and turn to God by faith without doing a repentant move. This is something that takes place in your heart and a decision that is, is, is made place there. And so uh, we do know what repentance is not by this verse and other verses that we've looked at in Scripture. To say that it is forsaking sin, that it's to do away with your sin before you get saved, it is so contrary to other portions of Scripture that it cannot be that. And again, when we deal with doctrine, uh, if, it, if it contradicts even one passage or one verse of Scripture, then our understanding of that doctrine is wrong. We must then go back to Scripture and say, now I've got to find out what does it mean. It must agree with every other portion of Scripture. This book is perfect. God did not make a mistake in it. He did not mess up in one book and not do it in another book. But anyway, Brother Douglas and I were talking the other day, uh, and he made comment of the fact, uh, a Sunday, I think it was Sunday, about the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. If you'll remember the story, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch had been reading Isaiah, and he's in his chariot, <coughs> and God brings Philip uh, to him uh, miraculously. 
And, uh, and so he, he gives him a vision, says, you need to go to this guy. He's wanting to get saved. And so he goes to him. And as they discourse and talk about this, he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I except some man should show me? So Philip begins to, to teach him Jesus from Isaiah. By the way, the story of the Gospels in the Old Testament there still, it is. And he teaches them uh, the story of the Lord Jesus Christ out of the book of Isaiah. If you'll remember what takes place, the Ethiopian eunuch asks him, What doth hinder me to be baptized? And what was Philip's answer? Anybody remember? If thou what? If thou believest with all thine heart. Do you notice not one word of repentance was mentioned to him? Why is it that some of the writers or some of the preachers in Scripture told the people to repent and others did not? And the reason is this. I, I, I've thought on that almost all week since you mentioned that to me. Why was it that John the Baptist preached repentance? Even Christ spoke of it. Why is it that some apostles, when they were telling someone how to be saved, said, you're going to have to repent? And others, they didn't say you need to repent. And I, th this is what I came up with. I started looking at them and, and the different passages. And the ones that they did not tell them to repent... They were already turning to Christ. So there was nothing to repent of in that situation. They, they already had turned from their unbelief. It had already taken place. They didn't need to be told again. They just wanted to trust Christ and they wanted to know how. The others that were dealt with in Scripture where repentance is mentioned were people who were still currently rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and therefore needed to be told that they needed to repent of those things. It's very interesting. And the more you study in Scripture, the more it really becomes very clear and very plain. And so it's very important for us to understand this. <clears throat> in 1 John 3, 4, uh, if you don't have any other verse that you get out of this study, I would make this a key verse that you hold on to. And if somebody ever comes to you and says you've got to repent from your sin, you've got to abandon it, you've got to get away from it before you can get saved, this is a primary verse because it shows that, that the keeping of the law to abandon the sin, get away from it, is the keeping of the law. That becomes a works salvation. If they use the word forsake, the idea of forsaking uh, means to, to, to abandon completely. And if you're not careful when you go down that road, you end up not only with works salvation, but also sinless perfection. Now you start saying you can't sin anymore after that decision was made. And uh, very, very important that those are two problems and doctrinal issues with the issue of repentance. Um, now, let's look at several other passages, and uh, we're going to start dealing with um, the rest of the story. Because while we do not have to do works, we do not have to keep the law in order to be saved, should we? do works, and do the things that are right in the eyes of God once we are saved? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. So again, there were a couple things I want to make sure were clear out of this study because we've preached so much on the repentance side of it that someone might come away from the study and say, well, pastor doesn't even think you need to do anything good or live right. You can just go out here and live however you want to. And that is not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying you don't have to live right in order to get saved. But once you're saved, there ought to be something in you that causes you to want to live right. 
So let's look at a couple of passages here. Turn to Romans chapter 3. I read this one a couple of weeks ago for another point. But uh, there's one extra verse I want to read that I did not read the first time <coughs> that I think will be a help to us. <coughs> Romans chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse number 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law. So could we say that this is someone who says, I've got to keep the law. I'm doing the works of the law. I'm keeping them. I'm not sinning. Because sinning would be to not do the deeds of the law. It would be to go against the law. So we're doing the works of the law, the deeds of the law. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. It's not the thing that saves us. It's the thing that helps us know we need to be saved. <clears throat> so the law is a good thing. It just doesn't save us. But now the righteousness of God. Now, when we talk about the righteousness of God, that's what He gives to us when we get saved. Notice what it says here. But now the righteousness of God, what does it say here? Without the law. I was saying this to somebody this week that wasn't in our church for any of these messages. I was sharing with them some of these ideas. And I said, you do not have to keep the law in order to be saved. And they said, well, I'm not so sure I believe that. And I took them to Romans 3, 21. And it says that the righteousness of God is without the law. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by what? Faith of Jesus Christ. <coughs> upon all, or unto all, and upon all them that, what? Believe. For there is no difference. Doesn't matter if you're Jew, Greek, Gentile, doesn't matter. All them that believe, all them that by faith come to Christ and believe upon Him and what He had done for them, he says there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single person in the world has to make this decision if they want to go to heaven. There's not a single person out there that says, I, I am, uh, I'm not under that. I don't need that. Every single one of us do. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His what? Grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. That means I did not earn it. Let me put it this way. That means I am not worthy of it. You know what we say when we say you have to repent from your sins or forsake your sins in order to be saved? We're saying you have to make yourself worthy to be saved. Folks, we can't do that. We cannot make ourselves worthy to be saved. What God does for us is something He does by His grace and by His love for us, when we put our faith in Him. But it is not something that He owes to us because of anything we have done. Being justified freely by His grace, <coughs> excuse me, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Very, very important that we understand this. Now, are there some works that ought to come from this? Let's look in Titus chapter number 3 for a moment. Titus chapter number 
<clears throat> excuse me. Titus chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse number 5. <clears throat> Not by works of righteousness. Would we call the keeping of the law works of righteousness? Absolutely. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When we got saved, we became a child of God. We became an heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. As such, once we are saved, we need to live like it. Why? I remember when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. I feel sorry for my kids sometimes because it's amazing the glass house you live in when you're a pastor and your children, everybody expects your children to be absolutely perfect, like they came out of the womb perfect. They're not. They're little devils, like, like most of us were when we were kids. And, and now granted, God will work on them and will grow them, but just like he did with you or I. <coughs> I remember, <coughs> excuse me, growing up in my mom and dad's house. And when I got old enough to go places without my mom and dad, they were not embarrassed to let me out of the house any longer. Well, maybe they were, they just trusted me a little bit more or... or had a moment of insanity, one or the other. Uh, but they let me go out of the house, almost without exception. As I was leaving, they gave me the list of rules that I was to follow when I was out of their presence. And one of the key things that they would always say to me was, remember whose child you are. And by that, they were saying, granted, it shouldn't be this way, but it is. People hold pastors and their families oftentimes to a higher standard of morality and a higher standard of doing right and not doing wrong. And because of that, there is a testimony. And when you violate that testimony, it causes harm to the cause of Christ, not just the Lord Jesus Christ, but also the family name. And so oftentimes they would say, remember whose child you are. And by that they meant you belong to the Boer family until I got older. And then I began to realize they weren't just saying you need to do it because you are a booer. They were saying that you need to do it because you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're his child. He's the one that you belong to. And you need to live like it. So I do not want us to come out of this study saying, well, repentance is not necessary. God gave us grace. I can go out here and live it up. Do what I want to do. I'll just let the old flesh nature run rampant. No, 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 no. You don't have to bring it into subjection and forsake the sin in order to get saved. But once you get saved, you belong to Him. And there's a testimony now at stake. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. Let's look in Titus chapter, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter number 2. <coughs> it's already 8 o'clock. Wow. We're, not, we're going to be two more weeks on, or at least one more week on this probably. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16. Again, just trying to solidify this in our minds. <coughs> if there's one book that you need to turn to in your scriptures to help you with the subject of repentance and works, the works salvation issue, 
Galatians, the whole letter was written by Paul to the churches of Galatia for the very fact that there were Judaizers in that area that were requiring people to obey the law and comply to the law in order to be saved. And they were changing the doctrine that they had been taught. In Galatians chapter number 2, verse number 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live. What's he referring to here? He's expressing a contrast to the life that he now lives with the life that he used to live. So the moment he got saved started a new life for him. And he says, the life that I now live in the flesh... I live by the what? Faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Boy, I poured over that verse this week. And I was thinking, boy, that's a harsh verse, Paul. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, if the righteousness came by the keeping of the law, then once we forsook our sin, we would have no need to be saved. We have now become righteous. Any of you there yet? <laughs> Not this pastor either. Then Christ would have died in vain. That's what Paul's saying in this verse. If you could have been saved by the keeping of the law, by not sinning, then Christ died in vain. What, what did he even die for? If we could have achieved righteousness somehow in our life and abandoned the life of sin, there would be no reason for Christ to have died. It would have been dead in vain. Look with me in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. This is what Paul says. All these churches that were in Galatia, he's writing this to all of them. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only would I learn if you received ye the Spirit, capital S, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. He, he says you couldn't have done it by both. It was one or to other. It was either by the works of the law or it was by the hearing of faith. But it wasn't both or either. Had to be one, not, not the other. Are ye so foolish? Twice now he said this. He's talked to them about how foolish they are. He says, are ye so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain, 
He therefore that ministereth to you, the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth, it he, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? In other words, did he, did he start this work in you and start doing this, this work in your life because you kept the law? No. He said he did it because you, you had faith when you heard it. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham didn't have to keep the law to be saved. He believed God. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. So he's speaking here of Old Testament saints because they're foreseeing that Christ would justify the heathen through faith. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. Now he wasn't talking about the blessings that the Jewish people would have over the course of the history of mankind. He was speaking of the singular, the singular blessing of the Savior of the world coming through the line of Abraham. Now, and it tells us here in verse number 8 that he preached the gospel unto Abraham. God himself preached it to him. You say, well, where is it in Scripture? There's a lot of things God did that we don't have a record of in Scripture. But if God said that he preached the gospel unto Abraham in the Greek, you know what that means? That means he preached the gospel unto Abraham. And Paul is the one writing here. He's the one that said, this is what the gospel is. I'm giving unto you that which I also received. How that Christ died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again the third day. That's what Paul considered the gospel. And he told the Galatians, he said, God preached it to Abraham. Abraham believed him. Because he was looking forward, and that's what it says here in verse 8, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. That's the same thing we do in reverse. We look back and see that he did justify the heathen through faith when he died on the cross. He saw the gospel in the future, and he believed it the same way you and I believe looking back on it. Now notice what he says in verse 9. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But, no, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by what? By faith. Let's look at two other passages and then we're just going to have to pick up here next week. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1. <coughs> Excuse me. Stand fast therefore in the liberty... Wherewith Christ hath made us free. What's he speaking of here? What have we been made free from? We are no longer under the law. We're now in the, under the grace of God. We've been made free from it. We are not bound to the law. Now, it doesn't mean that the law is not a good thing for us. We're just not bound to it. Notice what he says. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. 
Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You're fallen from grace. In other words, if you're trusting your keeping of the law, you have not received the grace of God. You're trusting in the law. You're trusting in works. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Over and over again, he says, O foolish Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, he talks about the fact. Uh, in fact, let's just turn there for a moment. We're going to come right back here to Galatians 5. But let's look in Galatians 1 a minute. And look at how he, what, how he addresses this right off the bat. In verse number uh, 6, he says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ Jesus unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. How were they perverting it? They were including the keeping of the law. They said, if you're going to get saved, if you're going to be part of this gospel message, it's okay to have the faith, but you've got to keep the law too. That's what they were saying to them. And he calls them foolish for it. Now notice also, in fact, let's, uh, let me see there. I, I don't know if I wanted to read a little further down maybe. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, notice what he says here. Uh, verse number 8, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And we said, as we said before, so I say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Uh, Paul, Paul was saying, uh, listen, if they're trying to teach you something other than the gospel message, let him be accursed. And then he says, let me say that again, because you might miss it. That's in the Greek in there somewhere, I don't know, but anyway. He says it a second time, though. Do you notice that? Verse number 9, he says, As we said before, so say I now again. If you didn't catch it the first time around, make sure you catch it the second time around. I, I have had comments made to me over the years. Well, Pastor, that's not what I heard so-and-so preach. I would rather be right by Scripture than agreeable with men. I'm not out to be disagreeable. Those of you that know me know I want to I want to get along with everybody. I love people. But if it comes down to me trusting what a man says and trusting what this book says, there's not even a decision to be made. And he goes on to say this, for do I now seek or do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to what? Please men. He says he's speaking here of his message of the gospel. He said, am I trying to please men or God here? He says, do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of God. And by the way, it'd do some preachers in this world a lot of good to read that verse. That if that's what they're doing, they should not be a servant of God either. And notice what he goes back to Galatians chapter 5 again. Let's finish up here. <clears throat> he said, you did run well. <coughs> verse number 7. Who did hinder you that you, not, you should not obey the truth? This persuasion, and by the way, that's usually all it is, is somebody trying to logic and reason their way to a doctrine. Folks, if you have to logic and reason your way to a doctrine, you have not studied Scripture enough for it. You should have a solid Bible grounding and basis for your doctrine. You should not need persuasion. You should simply need the truth.
This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Notice he says this in verse number 9. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You let a little bit of this doctrinal error creep in, it'll mess the whole thing up. I know some people have said, Pastor, why are you, why are you being so, so strong on this issue? Because if we, whether intentionally or unintentionally, are wrong on this issue to where it leads people to do a works-based decision of salvation, they are not saved. You say, well, Pastor, I, I've been in church 30 years and I've seen God work. I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches. You cannot be saved if you add works to your faith. If that's what you're trusting, you cannot be saved. I know that's a harsh statement to say. I said that to a preacher this week. <coughs> he said, well, I think that might be a little bit too far of a statement to make. I said, brother, if you add anything to works, or anything to faith, anything to faith, add anything to it, faith plus, and you can put anything you want in the blank, is it faith? No. It's faith plus works. And now I'm saying God's doing most of it, but I have to do some too. Folks, you, if that's the position you're in, I'm not saying this because I'm mad at you or mean at you tonight. My heart breaks because of this, because our so many people have done this. They've made a profession of faith holding to this issue. God's doing most of it. But I also have to... Folks, if you've done that, you're not saved tonight. You're trusting something other than Christ. And I'm not trying to, to get you to doubt your salvation. But neither do I want you to go to hell believing that it was partially up to you. I know that's a harsh statement to make. And there are a lot of preachers that hold to this view in error. And they teach it and they preach it to a lot of people. And they tell a lot of people these things. And folks, I was listening a number of years ago, I think I shared this the other night, to a preacher. And he made a statement. This has been years ago, probably 20, 30 years ago. He said, if God would open our spiritual eyes where we could see the hearts of people, he said it would shock us how many folks sit in the pews of our churches lost? Why? Because somewhere down the line, a preacher was either not diligent enough to look himself in Scripture, or he just trusted the wrong preachers that he heard it from to be right on the matter. And they have been doctrinally in error on the issue of salvation. Folks, if this was a problem on tithing, it would still be important that we were right on the doctrine, but it would not cause somebody to go to hell over it. This doctrine is vitally important, that we are right on it from Scripture. Vitally important, because it will determine the eternity of a man or a woman's soul if we're wrong on it. And I do not want to be guilty 
just for the sake of my pride, not wanting to change what I've always held to, perhaps if I had another view of this doctrine before this lesson. I would not to just for the sake of my own pride and not wanting to change be guilty of other people trusting something other than faith to go to heaven. I would not want to be guilty as a pastor of being too lazy to study Scripture, to learn the truth of it in this book, and to not just take all the preachers that we are friends with their word for it. We need to be right, folks. It's got to be right. I'll read Titus 2 and verse 11. I know some of you already put your Bibles away because as most good Baptist preachers, I've closed now for three times at least. But uh, I'm going to read this last verse. Titus chapter 2, let's look in verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. We know from Ephesians chapter 2 that it's this grace that saves us, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved. Unmerited favor. I am not worthy. I have not earned it. It's by God and God alone. And when I put my faith in Him, He give me that salvation. No questions asked. The grace of God that brings salvation, Paul writes to Titus, hath appeared to all men. Notice the next verse, the very first word. What does it say? Teaching us. Teaching us. We get saved by the grace of God, and when we get saved, that grace that saved us begins to teach us. What does it teach us? Teaching us that denying ungodliness. There's the keeping of the law. There's the forsaking of the sin. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. Don't say, like some people I've heard say, I got saved and God knows I'm imperfect. I'm just a sinner saved by grace and God knows that. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to be perfect. But I'm not even going to try this side of heaven because there's no use in doing it. That's what they're saying. One of these days I'll be perfect. That's the truth. We won't ever be perfect till we get there. But it's teaching us this grace that we've got. It's teaching us that in this present world, this side of heaven, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. That's the rest of the story. And I took a long time to get to the message. That was the introduction tonight. Next week you'll get the meat of it. The rest of the story is, now that we get saved by faith alone, should we forsake sin? Absolutely. With all every fiber of our being, we should be working, laboring every moment of every day to resist sin, to flee from sin, to escape temptation, to be diligent, to live a godly life. You're not going to succeed 100% till we get to heaven. But the grace of God teaches me that's what I need to do. I need to pursue it. And so we'll look at that next week, and that will be the rest of the story. Let's go ahead and stand. Folks, I appreciate your patience. It is 20 after 8. I'd